So we're going to get going on our third week of this series that I've been calling Complicated Christianity. Um, as I tried to say last week, I, I don't think I used the best word to describe um, what I'm actually trying to unpack. I don't want it to make it sound like I want to make Christianity harder. I, I don't want to say that, that Christianity is too hard. What, what I'm trying to unpack a little bit for you is that in our world, we've added a lot of things or based Christianity on performance or, or all these different things we've added into what we think Christianity is. And so I want to try to wade through the waters and look at John chapter 15. That's where we've been at the past couple of weeks. We're still going to be there again today and kind of figure out like how have we maybe complicated our Christianity a little bit? How have we added some things to Christianity that have made it a lot harder than it probably needs to be? And if we look at the world around us and, and already the complications of what, what our world has played out over the past couple years, we probably don't want another thing that has to be hard to navigate. Growing up, growing up, me and my brother for 18 years shared a room. Maybe some of you in here have siblings that you've had to share a room forever with or had to at some point, but for 18 years I shared a room with my brother. From when we were little, we grew up. Um, I remember when we were we were not in like cribs anymore. We were in our normal beds, and we would like get up and mess with each other in the middle of the night because that's what you do when you're brothers. Or especially when we got older in high school, um, I would sit up and try to talk to my brother, or my brother would try to talk to me, and one of us would yell at each other because the other one wants to go to sleep. Um, it was just it was a mess. And um, my brother also uh, very weird in the house we used to live in just down the street from here would have these weird dreams. We thought at first it was his head he was putting through the ceiling because we had a loft that my parents built that was probably from like halfway up this wall to the ceiling so you could like barely sit up without hitting the ceiling. Um, and he would get these like nightmares and he would push with his feet on the ceiling and one morning he woke up and there was a huge hole in the ceiling um, because he had pushed his feet through and there was like um, drywall all on his bed, all on him. He had no idea what happened and so they, he did that like three times, three times until my parents finally put a metal grate up in that hole. He didn't really do it much again. Um, he bent it a little bit, but, but he pretty much stopped after that. So there's some fun facts. But anyways, so for 18 years we shared a room, but at one point my brother had enough. He said, I'm done, I'm over this. I don't want to share a room anymore. Every house we buy only has like three bedrooms. And so like the house we lived in for a long time, just down the road, um, my parents actually built a room in the basement. So they like had an open basement and then they walled it off um, for a room for us so that we could have a room um, down in the basement. My brother said, that's it. I'm done. I, don't, I want my own room. So we had in our room in that house a pretty decent-sized walk-in closet for both of us because both of us put our clothes in there. And, so, um, and I think also my dad put some of his clothes in there. So we had my dad's clothes. We had both of our clothes. And so we had a pretty big walk-in closet. And so my brother decided that he was going to set up shop. This was going to be his new home. He was going to live in the closet. So he goes upstairs, and he goes into our um, little laundry room. He grabs the cot that we have that we take when we went camping, and he gets that cot. He puts it in there. He says, this is where I'm going to sleep. And he starts bringing all of his stuff in there, and he starts setting up shop in there. I couldn't even go in the closet. Like, the closet's not big enough to where, like, he can sit in there, and I can still maneuver through the closet. Like, he took up the entire closet. So he did that for, I think, probably about a week or two. Until finally I had enough of it because I said every time I open this door, I get yelled at for waking you up and this is my closet. It's, your, it's not just your closet, it's not your room, it's not your home. Um, 
So I finally, as the smart thing to do, I, uh, I went and told on him. Um, told my parents, I've had enough of this. My brother's trying to make a room out of our closet and I can't navigate this. Um, so they came down um, and they made him clean it up. But we got back into um, rooms together and so then we shared rooms until finally um, we moved into the house my parents are at. And we all had our own rooms and then my brother got married and moved out. So um, we don't share a room anymore, just so you know. I share a room with my wife. Um, so. So anyways, but it's like for so, for so long we had shared a room and he, he wanted his own home. This is where I'm going to set up shop. This is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to spend all of my time. He'd go in there and when he was going to his room, he'd go through our room and go into the closet, like shut the door like he was in a separate place and nobody could talk to him because this was his room. The door didn't even lock. I could just open the door if I wanted to. Um, but, but that's where he wanted home to be. And you ask me, Taylor, why would you maybe tell that story? I want to ask you a question as we navigate today. Where are you setting up shop for your life? Where do you call home? I'm not saying, you know, what's your address? Where's the place you physically reside? Where are you setting up home? And that might be confusing for you. We're going to unpack that here momentarily. But another question that I hear a lot with where we're at in our world is this question of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? What does that mean? Probably you guys have been on a road trip before or going somewhere and you have the annoying sibling that sits in the back and says, are we there yet? Or they fall asleep for 20 minutes, they think they've been asleep for three hours and they say, are we there yet? No, we're just outside of Ashland. We haven't made it very far. I did that once on the only, t or the. I only flown twice, once to Colorado and once to Thailand. So greatest idea is the first time I get on a plane, I'm going to fly 23 hours. Never flown before. Um, so I, I made it there safely. And on the way back, there is it 12 or 18 hours ahead. 12. Because um, I would have to call Shannon when we were engaged at 9 o'clock at night, and it was 9 o'clock in the morning um, on the previous day. So it's 9 o'clock like Thursday night, and she's just waking up Thursday morning. Um, so we talked. Um, but I flew back tw midnight the day before. I know this is going to get really confusing, but just follow me. I'm going to try to explain it. Midnight on Wednesday, landed in South Korea on my way back at 4 or 5 in the morning on Wednesday, or Thursday. Left at 9 a.m. on Thursday. I hadn't slept. I didn't sleep all day um, because I was, we were getting ready and then we went to the airport and we were doing some different things. So I didn't sleep all day on the day we left. And so pretty much I've been up for almost a day and a half. Um, I get on the plane and I'm like, all right, I'm so tired. I'm so sleepy. I'm just going to sleep on this plane because this was the longest stretch from South Korea to I flew into Detroit. It was like a 15 or 13 hour flight. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to sleep. I get ready, I kind of sit back, and I fall asleep for like five minutes. We haven't even taken off yet. And I wake up, and there's like all these people crowded around this guy. He had like passed out or something. I'm already freaked out and flying. And so now they got this guy that all these people are crowded around, and we're not sure we're even going to take off. And I'm like expecting for us to be like halfway home by now. We haven't even taken off from South Korea. And it was like, are, are we there yet? I like on the flight I was on though, it showed like where the path was so I could like see. And I was like, yeah, we're still 
not even taken off yet. But all throughout it, I kept looking, and I go, okay, are we there yet? How close are we? Are we there yet? How close are we? No, we're still eight hours. We're still four hours. We're still three hours. And we ask that question a lot, are we there yet? But what, what is there? What does there mean to you? Maybe we've been asking that question over the past couple years as we come out of something like COVID and we go, are we there yet? Well, what is there? Are, are we to a point where we're back to normal, whatever that is anymore? Are, are, are we there yet, uh, maybe at the end of school and we're, we're kind of winding down and ha- have I completed all my 12, 12 years or 13 years, whatever it is, in school? Have I made it yet? Am I there yet? That's the question I think we try to ask ourselves. And if you look around, there for a lot of people is different in this room. Maybe your there is getting into the college you want. If I could just get there, I would have it made. Maybe for some of you, it's if I could just get there on the varsity team, whatever that is, in baseball, football, if I was just there, life would be good. If I just made it into an extracurricular, let's say, you know, whether it's um, band, choir, a musical, a play, if I could just get this part, I'd be there. And each of us have a different thing of what we want to strive for, and if we could just get there, it would somehow maybe magically fulfill on the inside of us. Where are you building your home? Are you there yet in your mind? I want to keep unpacking for the next few moments in John chapter 15 this idea of are we there yet? So if you're not there, I want to turn there. It'll be up here on the screen as well. John chapter 15. What I've been hopefully trying to do is we take this hopefully a step further each week. As we started the first week looking at the relationship we need to have needs to be intimate and organic. There needs to be something about it that just happens. We don't add anything to it. Last week week we looked at this idea that we can't do anything if we're separated from the vine. He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that gives us hope. He's the one that does everything. And if we try to do life apart from him, it won't work. (laughs) So this week I want to look at this idea of where are you building your home? Are we there yet? It says here, and we'll kind of recap the first couple verses. It says in verses 1 through 8, I'm using the message version. It says, I'm the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. Every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You're already pruned back by the message I've spoken. Live in me, make your home in me. Catch that, make your home in me, just as I do in you. The same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you, you, if you make yourselves at home with me, my, my words are at home in you. You can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So we're going to keep going in the next couple verses, but I want you to catch those couple phrases. Yours will probably say, abide. It's the same idea. Make your home abide in me. Abide in me. Where are you building your home? 
Because I think a lot of times when it comes to Christianity, we don't always look at this idea of making our home in Christ, in Jesus, in Him. And so what we do is we make our home where we're at. We make our home here on this earth. We build everything up to be put our lives into this world. Well, if I could just if I could just have this job, then I would be fulfilled. If I could just have all these people like me, I would be fulfilled. If I could just have this this boyfriend or this girlfriend that that I really like, I would be fulfilled. And we're so focused on making our home in this world, making our home in our daily lives, that we're, we're building all these things. We're looking to the future and we're, we're planning our career and trying to figure out maybe in some of your minds, what's the job that I can go down that I enjoy that makes a lot of money? What, what, what neighborhood can I live in that has, that has really good neighbors and there's not a lot of bad things that happen in that neighborhood and I could have a really nice house? If I could only just have this car, then I would be set. And we're so focused on trying to build our home here on this earth and collect all these things that we forget about that there's something much greater we should be building our home in. We'd rather put our time and energy. And, and don't get me wrong, those things aren't bad. We need to have a job to make money. We need a place to live. But, but, but you've probably looked at so many different athletes, movie stars, musicians, whatever you want to say, and all the things that they add together and all the things they collect and all the stuff that they have, probably every single one of them would tell you that they're still not happy. They're still not fulfilled. There's some of these rappers and different things I've seen videos on and they got like 10 cars and they're still collecting more. Some of these athletes have four different homes that they have all throughout the country and they're still buying more. See, the problem when we try to fill our lives, when we try to make our homes in a place that's temporary, is we're always going to want more. We're always going to keep trying to collect stuff and try to see if that will fulfill. If I set up home here and maybe having another house will fulfill. I think this is a very interesting verse in Mark chapter 8 where it says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What would happen if you got everything you ever wanted? God blessed you with every amenity, everything that you could want. I buy a lot of clothes, but they don't fulfill me. What happens if I have all the clothes that I ever wanted in the world, but I lose my soul? What's the point? What does it matter? It's just a bunch of stuff. When I die, it's gone. It makes me think of the, the story of this person in the Bible where he, where he has all of his barns filled up and all, all, he needs to build bigger barns so that he can store more stuff. And Jesus says, whether he knows it or not, he's going to die tonight and his stuff's gone. 
He can collect all he wants, but, but if we're setting up shop, if we're putting our home and our hope in this world and the things of this world, you're going to be disappointed. We just become somebody that collects all these things, but we lose our soul. We lose our heart in, in what we should really start pursuing. We're obsessed with what we do that it makes us forget who God is. See, what we want in our lives is we want, I think a lot of times, and we don't always want to be honest with ourselves, uh, uh, we just think Christianity can be behavior modification. Well, if I just do these things, then it makes me a Christian. And if I just collect other things, it's okay. And so we want something we can kind of modify our behavior a little bit, and we're still left empty. I was... Uh, when I went to become a manager at the Norwalk Walmart, an assistant manager, they have to send you down to um, training for four weeks. Four weeks. And so mine was split up. We do two weeks. We come back to the store for um, a month, and then we go back for two more weeks of training. And so they shipped me down to um, Cincinnati for two weeks, and I had to go sit through these boring classes that they would try to tell me how all of this stuff worked out as a manager, and then you get on the job and it's like, yeah, none of that actually works. It seems like that's how a lot of things are. You get all this training and then you get on the job and you're like, well, it kind of works a little differently. So I go down there, and one of my buddies, Wyatt, who who I've talked a little bit about, um, he was staying with a friend down in Kentucky. He was doing an internship at this time. He was in college, so he was doing an internship um, with a friend he had met there, um, and he lived in Kentucky. Now, when I tell you this guy had stuff I'm not going to do justice by just telling you, um, and I don't have pictures, but, but I'll try to explain a little bit of just what this guy had. The, be- the best way I can describe like where his house and his neighborhood would be is like the country club here in Ashland. Um, he had a, a humongous house uh, that I drove up, and when I drove there, because he invited me to come over, um, I was like, this can't be his house. This thing's huge. He has a huge house, has all these rooms. Downstairs, we went in his basement. He has like a full finished basement. Not that he has carpet and drywall and he's painted the walls. Like it's fully finished with like multiple different kind of board games. He's got a ping pong table. He's got a pool table. It's like he has his own arcade downstairs. He lives in this community where they have a pool just for that community that was bigger than Brookside's pool just for their community, not for the whole community. They had multiple cars, not just like two or three, like five cars. Um, We went to the Reds game while I was down there as well. They invited me. They don't have seats up in the bleachers. They don't have seats down even um, by like third base or first base. They have like those, I think they're called box seats, where you can go to this place and have unlimited food throughout the entire game. Not just that game, all season. They have season passes all year to any Reds game they want to go to. And he has all these different things that he's accumulated. And his parents own, I I don't know if own or run, pretty much this huge business in downtown Cincinnati that he was interning at. And it seemed like if you just looked at this kid, he wasn't happy. Sure, he was a good baseball player. I think that's how they got connected. Um, they both played baseball at Tiffin for a little bit. And so he, he liked baseball. But it's like, I'd be like, wow, this is so cool. And he'd be like, it was kind of those, yeah, I know. 
I mean, I live here. Oh, you, you've got this too? Yeah, yeah, we use it all the time. You've got a pool that you can go to any time and a golf cart that you drive down to the pool? Yeah. Is he there? Has he made it? Has his family made it? I don't know. But I can tell you, I think he was asking the question, is there any more that could make me happy? Is there any more things I could get and it would make me more happy than I am right now? Why do we spend so much time making our home here? Why do we care so much about what people think about us? Why do we care so much about how we present ourselves? Why do we care so much about how much money we make or how much our parents make or what kind of house we live in or what kind of car we drive? Who cares if you've got the car that's been passed down from person to person and it's an old junker that you're the one that's driving it now? Who cares if you can't have that person that you're just so in love with here on this earth, but they don't love you back? Are we, are we there yet? We spend so much time with that. So I don't have a formula for you, and I have to go really, really fast here. And I don't have do these things, and you're going to be fulfilled. But I will tell you, as Jesus has said all throughout this passage in John 15, 15, make your home in me. Make your home in me. Not here. This isn't our home. This is our temporary home. This is where we're at right now. Eternity is where we're going to be forever. That's our home. In Jesus, that's our place to be. That's where we should reside. That's the there for us. And so here's a couple quick things that can help us make our home in Jesus, not here on this earth. It says here, in 15, 9 through 10, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, my Father's commands, and made myself at home in this love. Two things right there in those couple verses that, that we can do to help make our home. As it says here, if you keep my commands, keep my commands... Look all throughout Scripture and, and what God has commanded us to do, the way God's called us to live. You want to make your home in Jesus? You want to make your home where it's supposed to be? Follow what He tells us to live like. The two greatest commandments are one that are combined. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another. Are you keeping that command? I'm not talking, do you show up to church? Do you read your Bible? Do you love the Lord, your God, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Everything you got. Do you love people? Listen to what He's told us. And then also, right before that, make yourselves at home in my love. In my love. You see, I think a lot of times when it comes to our Christianity, we need to figure out how we can love God better, and we don't always want to just sit in the love that He has for us. Well, if I just go to church more, and, and I read my Bible more, and I just serve more, and I show everybody how much I love God, it's going to fulfill me. We live in an achievement-based world. Based on how much you've worked this week, that's how much you've gotten done. Based on how many, you know, with the Winter Olympics kind of going on, I don't know how much of you have actually watched 
a lot of it, but like based on how many medals they win, that's, that's how good they are. It's all on our achievement and what we can do. What, if, what would you do if you just sat in his love? How many of you just soak in the love that he has for you? That he sent his son to die for you because he loved you? How many of you treat it like a relationship? There's times that I need to show my wife love, but there's times I just need to let her love me. I need to sit in the love that she has for me. And even if you turn your back on God, he still loves you. think even when it comes to our worship songs they tend to be a lot more on what we can do i surrender all there's nothing wrong with that song and it should be a response to what jesus does in our hearts but it's what what i can do and then and then we see a song like crowder's song it's oh how he loves and we're like well it's okay but it's all on god's love and what what his love means to me and and how I can soak in that. You want to make your home in Jesus. You need to follow what he has to say. You need to just sit in his love. And then these next couple of verses. I told you these things for a purpose. That my joy might be your joy. And your joy holy and mature. This is my command. Love another. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends. You are my friends when you do the things I have commanded. You know, what's very interesting um, is that I think what Jesus is trying to do here is give a little kind of flash forward. He says, this is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. This is a few chapters before our friend Jesus will go put his life on the line for you and for me. Recall his friendship. Know what he did for you. Know that he loves you. That he's willing to put his life on the line for you. That's our Savior. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. Know you're a friend of his. Know you're in a friendship, that he cares about you. He wants you to reciprocate that friendship. And then finally, real quickly, you didn't choose me, this is huge, remember I chose you. You didn't choose me, remember I chose you. Remember this was his idea. He's the one that pursued you. He's the one that went after you. He's the one that loves you. Even when you didn't want Him, even when you didn't think about Him, even when you weren't wanting to be with Him, He still wanted to be with you. This was His idea. We spend a lot of time trying to make our home on this earth. We want to collect all these things. We want to show everybody our achievements. We want to live based on our performance. And at the end of the day, we always feel empty. You want to find a way to find joy? You want a way to find peace? Make your home at Jesus. Well, how do I do that, Taylor? Why well, soak in his love. I remember what he's told me. 
I remember that he's my friend and that he calls me his friend. And that this was his idea. He's the one that wanted this relationship to happen even before I even thought about it. There's a movie that came out a little while ago, probably many of you know, called Enchanted. Back in 2007, I think is when the movie came out. And the whole basis of this movie is that this fairy tale princess gets plopped into the middle of New York City. And everything's different because in her fairy tale land, this is how things operate. This is how things work. This is how I do things. When I go to New York City, they don't work that way at all. Same concept with the movie like Elf when he comes into the city and he's doing things certain ways. He's eating spaghetti with maple syrup because that's how he does things. That's how it works. And he sticks out, or she sticks out, because they're not in a place that's their home. They're not in a place that where they're supposed to be, and so they look different, and they navigate it differently. And I think a lot of times what happens is we're like the people in those movies, that this is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in Jesus. This is where our home is. This is where we're supposed to set up shop, and then we're plopped into this world, and we start making our home there, but we don't really fit in there, and these things don't really fulfill me, because that's not your home. Your home's here. Her home is not in New York City. It's in this fairy tale land. That's where she's supposed to be. But this is where she's at now. And, and our home is Jesus, not this world. And some of us get lost in that. Instead of trying to find our way back home, we just stay in the place that's not our home. Are we there yet? The goal is to get to Jesus. The goal is that's where our home is. The challenging question I ask for you is where are you making your home? Are you making it here? Or are you making it in Jesus?